I'm here. I heard a noise. Oh my God. And it kept recording. Thank you, sweet baby Jesus. Are y'all there? We are. Hi, we can, honey. We can hear you. What happened? <sighs> my fat ass cat unplugged my computer. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's just over there eating dog food like he runs this house. <laughs> my back hurts. <laughs> Hello and welcome. We are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. I don't know why, but your intro, Tiffany, when you said, I'm Tiffany, it sounded like the beginning of like a bad early 2000s pop song. Yes, I'm here for this. (laughs) It's Tiffany, bitch. Wow, I went real deep there. Wow. It's (laughs) Tiffany. It's China. <laughs> what is happening? Oh, we've lost it. It's We're going fine. on the year mark. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's great. Everything's fine. But anyway, happy March, everybody. Happy Ooh. March. Let's not focus on the fact that we're going on the year mark of the world being on fire. Let's focus on the fact that it is Women's History Month. Hey-o. Hey-o. A round of applause for my wombs around the world so i guess that begs the question ashley what female murderer are you talking about today not the opposite actually what oh a not murderer <laughs> so like a doctor eh, kind of i was thinking detective detective <laughs> yeah a not murderer oh. <laughs> somebody who catches Fair. the murderers Fair. i was like i don't think i've ever covered one of those eh. makes note There's two types of people. All right. So we are going to be talking about Irina Sindler. No clue who that is. But I like the name Irina. It's very pretty. Um, Or Irina Kritzenowska. Okay. Russian? Uh, She was born February 15th, 1910 in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, But she grew up in Otwok which was a small, mostly Jewish town, which is about 15 miles south of Warsaw. Her mother was Jania and her father Stanislaw, and her parents were members of the Polish Socialite Party. Her father was also a physician who was also considered a humanitarian because he treated the poor Jews free of charge. Get it, boy. Unfortunately, he passed away when Irina was only seven years old from typhus, and it was believed that he actually contracted it from his patients because there was a awful typhus outbreak, and he was working around the clock to help treat the people in the community, and they think that he got it from one of his patients. But after his death, the Jewish community offered financial help for the widow and her daughter, although Jania would ultimately decline their assistance. However, they were not too bad off because Irina was able to study Polish literature at Warsaw University. However, she opposed a lot of the uh, the ghetto bench system, which was practiced in the 1930s at many Polish institutions. What is that? Um, basically, anyone who was Jewish was basically they were just treated differently. They were put in the back of the classroom. They were, if they even got into the school, um, it was the segregation of the Jewish students in a lot of the uh, universities and higher education facilities at that time. Got it. So 
She opposed those, like outwardly opposed them. She even went as far as to deface the non-Jewish identification on her grade card and identifications for this school because she felt like there was no reason that that even needed to be on there. So because of her outbreaks, she suffered from academic disciplinary measures and gained a reputation as a communist and a philo-Semite. Which means... Uh, philo-Semitism is, this is straight from Wikipedia, a interest in or respect for... A, wait. <laughs> this is straight from Wikipedia and I can't read the quote. <laughs> <laughs> Philo-Semitism or Judeophilia is an interest in respect for and appreciation of Jewish people. So she was being accused of being respectful and tolerant of others? What? Yeah, but in 1930s Poland? Uh, yeah, fair. I mean, <laughs> I guess know your audience, but I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, of all things considered, being called a communist in this aspect may not be the be- worst thing. I almost said the best thing. May not be <laughs> the worst thing. Um, in 1931, she married Mike Sindler, and they moved to Warsaw before the outbreak of World War II. So she was repeated. She applied to work in the Warsaw school system, but she was repeatedly refused employment because of her negative recommendations issued by the university because of her quote radically leftist views. Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> so she became associated with. The social and education units of the Free Polish University, where she met and was influenced by activists from the illegal Communist Party of Poland. So she started to find some people who shared her views and really started to learn things from them. So in Warsaw, she became a social worker and oversaw the city's canteens, which were basically shelters, and they um, provided assistance to people in need. Uh, They... uh, I would provide meals, financial aid, other services for really anybody in need. Um, elderly, the poor, anyone who is considered destitute was welcome. Anyone, rather, was welcome to come in and get whatever assistance they said they needed. They never turned anybody away. However, when the Nazis invaded Poland in 1939, Irina and her colleagues began using the canteens to provide clothing, medicine, and monies, more so for the Jewish community. Aww. They got to where they would even begin to draft fa- Faust. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Nailed it. (laughs) Question mark. They got to where they would even draft false documents, registering them under false Christian names to prevent inspections or register. God bless America. We're we're not in America. This is what happens when you actually have your notes ready to go a week before we record and you haven't reviewed them since. (laughs) (laughs) So they would even draft false documents registering them under false Christian names. And to prevent inspections, they would report the Jewish families as having highly infectious diseases like typhus or tuberculosis. Oh, smart. Mm-hmm. So while the family was trying to make plans to get away or take care of whatever they needed to take care of, they would basically either register them or sometimes they would even go and like hey, hang things on their front doors saying basically quarantined like with our um dr glenn coco who would yeah he'd quarantine entire towns yep so in 1942 the nazis gathered over 400,000 jews in what would be known as the warsaw ghetto the ghetto was a 16 block area which is about the size of central park if you're familiar 
and it was surrounded by 10 foot high walls that were topped with barbed wire. Wow. That, that seems aggressive. So imagine 400,000 people, more than because military and everybody else that was in there with them, packed into Central Park. The poor hygienic conditions and the crowded ghetto, the lack of food and medical supplies resulted in epidemics and high death rates. Reportedly, thousands of people died each month. So Irina knew she had to do something after she started to hear about the horrible conditions and she could no longer get to these people and these people could no longer get to her for help. So she devised means to get into the ghetto. Using her papers as a social worker, she was able to get a pass from Warsaw's Epidemic Control Department and was able to visit the ghetto daily. This allowed her to reestablish contacts and sneak in necessities that these families needed. Oh, I love her already. (laughs) Yeah, she's amazing. As the death tolls within the ghetto began to quickly rise, she and her colleagues would realize they needed to do something quick, and they decided they would start by helping get the children out. Oh my god, I'm going to cry this episode, aren't I? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) You're a bitch. Sorry. (laughs) It's fine. Heartwarming story. You're a bitch. These were done like a week ago before. (laughs) We need to like, when we, can we insert like a spiral sound? (laughs) How how are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) So putting themselves at great risk, she and about two dozen of her colleagues set out to save as many Jewish children as possible from death in the ghetto or deportation to concentration camps. They made over 3,000 false documents to help these Jewish families. And in 1942, the Council for the Aid to Jews, or Zagota, was established, and Irina joined and quickly became one of its main activists in the children's division. So they had several ways that they could smuggle these children out of the ghetto. They would use caskets, which was one of the simpler ones. They would basically go into a home and act like the child passed away and carry them out. They would also carry them out in trash sacks or potato sacks, saying that they were taking contaminated items out of the ghetto. Wow. Some were able to leave in ambulances. If they were old enough or able to focus enough to pretend that they were sick, they had an agreement with some ambulance drivers that would take them out and say that they were horribly sick and needed to be taken to a hospital or outside treatment they would just put them on the stretcher and carry them out but if not they would pack them under the stretcher if they were actually taking a sick person out they would get as many kids as they could into the ambulance put them under the stretcher behind the seats wherever they could fit them to get them in and out wow there was a mechanic that would frequent the ghetto and work on the military trucks who would sneak babies out in his toolbox Oh, 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 my heart. Could you? Oh, no. <laughs> and they could also be snuck out through the tunnels of the sewer system. Oh, my. Heart. Oh, Ashley doesn't like that one. No, no, I don't. But I do it for the babies. Oh, my God. Yes. I can't even imagine like uh, being oh being in a situation where you're like, this is my pride and joy. This is the thing I love the most in the world here. I'm sticking it in a toolbox. Yeah. Take her. And give her a better life. Oh, God. Yeah. No. I oh, mean, God, no. Already being in that situation, being in knowing that the chances of your children surviving slash you being able to stay with your children are slim to... I don't know. I, I couldn't do it. Mm-mm. I can't even imagine. And the other way that they were able to get them out is the Germans had attempted to seal the entrance of a church that straddled the line of the ghetto and the open side 
of the town. So they would enter through the Jewish side of a Catholic church and eventually... So they would basically hide them away in the church for however long. And then eventually they would try and just have them walk out of the church on the other side. Uh, But the Germans caught on to that pretty quickly. People trying to use that as an escape route. So they tried to seal off the entrance so that the Jews, because I mean, in their eyes, they had no reason to need to access the church. Yeah. And they could still, with the children, they could still sneak their way out. But that really wasn't a preferred method anyway, because they quickly caught on to that. But they usually use that for older kids or the handful of adults that they were trying to help. Yeah, that seems like the uh, the riskier of the options. Yeah, because they got to where they would just stand out. They would have guards outside of the church waiting for anyone questionable to come out. In September 1943, Irina was appointed the director of the Zagoda's Department for the Care of Jewish Children. Once the children were safely removed from the ghetto, Irina would then help place them at convents or with participating non-Jewish families. Her main thing that she would always say in interviews in the past is that she made sure that anyone that was helping them realized that the child would be returned to any living relatives as soon as they could. Good. Oh, I love that. She made sure that people knew this wasn't like an adoption thing. They just needed to be kept safe. Cared for and loved on until... Mm -hmm. As the situation became more dire for the ghetto's inhabitants, Sindler went beyond rescuing orphans and began asking parents to let her help get their children to safety. Although she couldn't guarantee the children's survival, she could tell the parents that their children would at least have a chance. Quote, can you guarantee they will live... Irina would later recall distraught parents asking. She was only ever able to guarantee that they would die if they stayed. Oh my God, my heart. She kept record of the children's true identities in jars that she buried beneath an apple tree, hoping that she would one day be able to dig them up, locate the children, and reunite them with their families. However, most of their families would not survive. In all, the jars contained the names of 2,500 children. Oh, my God. She's a gem. Uh, Beyond. She's all the gems. Beyond. I'm getting chills talking about it again, and I spent days on notes. Um, On October 20th, 1943, the Nazis arrested Sindler and sent her to Pawakak Prison, where she was tortured by the Gestapo, who beat her so badly that she had her legs and feet broken. Holy crap. Mm. And although she was the only one who knew the names and addresses of the people who helped her and the people who were sheltering the children, she did not give up any information. And because of that, she was sentenced to death. Rude. However, her fellow Zagoda members were able to bribe one of the German soldiers to halt the execution, and she was able to... I've read it two ways where she escaped, where they snuck her out of the prison, and then I also saw that she was released. Okay. I like to think escape. Let's keep it spicy. Right? Let's keep it going. Um, So I'm not 100% sure exactly which version is true because it was literally 50-50 on the articles that I read. Um, But she did because that one soldier helped her get out. She pretty much had to remain in hiding for the remainder of the war. And she was the only one who knew where the children were to be found. So the children just kind of had to stick it out. And yeah, just hope, wait. Yeah. Hope that they were in good places. So when the war was finally over, she was able to dig up the jars and begin the job of finding the children and connecting them with her living relatives. In 1947, she married Stefan Zygris... <laughs> Nailed it. Uh-huh. Zygrzymski, <laughs> with whom she had three children of her own. 
her daughter Janka, her son Andrzej, who unfortunately died in infancy, and Adam. And after the death of Stefan, she actually remarried her first husband, Michaelis Sindler. But that reunion didn't last and they again divorced. So they just weren't, weren't necessarily meant to be together. But it's fine. In 1967, Yad Vashim, Israel's Holocaust Memorial organizer, named Sindler as Righteous Among the Nations for her work saving the Jewish children. And they were damn right. Right? Beyond, like, a little bit more would be great. Come on. In 1991, she was made an honorary citizen of Israel. That's cool. I didn't know that you could become an honorary citizen. I will, I, that's another goal in life. What did I say? Espionage? And yeah. <laughs> honorary citizenship of another country those two go hand in hand right i mean they could but it might get you in a lot of trouble with your native country so (laughs) it's fine i'm an honorary citizen it's no big deal um and this is actually how i found out about her in 1999 a play called life in a jar was written by three high school students who studied irena sindler for a year-long history project And that is what actually kind of catapulted her into getting worldwide recognition. So a little bit of a backstory. The three of them, I believe, read like a very small article about her and were kind of taken aback by her and wanted to find more information. So they really dug into it. They came up with the play that was their presentation for their history project. And it went over so well at the school that they put it on as at like a uh, local festival and it just grew and grew and grew from there to the point where they actually got to travel to Poland and meet her a couple times. They started a museum in her honor. They've created a website that I believe is Life in a Jar and it's the story of Irina Sindler. Didn't you say something about starting a museum? Yeah, (laughs) they have a... I don't know if it's a physical museum or if it's a traveling exhibit, but they were able to raise money from sharing the story and everything to create an exhibit that tells her story and it shows pictures of like some of the kids that she was able to save. Now, I'm sure you're going to tell us and I don't want to like ruin the buildup, but can you tell us how many kids she reunited with her fam with their families? There's not records of an exact number. Boo. Tiffany, we're just going to tell you all of them? Yay! Okay, good. Thank you. A lot of them were not able to be reunited with their families. Yeah. No, given the situation, I assume that was going to be the answer, but... Yeah. But she did try her absolute best to try and get them to any family... And part of the problem, too, is they were all so young that they couldn't be like, oh, well, I have an aunt or I have, you know, so she tried her best to really reunite them. But also there was so much chaos after the war. Devastation. And yeah, her main goal was she made sure that they were all safe and ideally in Jewish homes. If she wasn't able to get them back with their family, she really tried to get them all put into Jewish homes. And a lot of times it was kind of like a um, foster system. Yeah. So if a family took in one to harbor during the war, they usually took in more than one and she would put them, you know, as these kids kind of bonded, if she couldn't find one of them, she would try and see if like, hey, yeah, (laughs) bonus kid, (laughs) bonus Jonas. (laughs) No, I love that. That is such an amazing thing. And I can't even imagine like 
I don't want to say the guts it takes, but kind of like the guts it takes to just be like, you know what? This sucks. I'm going to fix it. Uh huh. Because I have to. I would like to think that we would all do the same. But when it comes down to that moment, how many of us actually do it? I am scared of authority. <laughs> so I would like to say that I would. I don't know. I feel like because there were 12, 13 of them, I think that would be like a, all right. Yeah, you you do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I mean, my dad always tells me that you're the bad influence. Like, I just have one person telling me to do something and I do it. So, (laughs) 13. Definitely. So, last couple of things for her. In 2003, she was honored with Poland's highest distinction, which is the Order of the White Eagle. And in 2008, she was nominated for, unfortunately, did not win a Nobel Peace Prize. Her story was captured in a 2009 TV movie called The Courageous Heart of Irina Sindler. The children that she had helped only knew her by her code name, which was Yolanta. So a lot of them didn't realize it was her right away when she started getting this fame. But years later, uh, she was on after she was honored for her work and her picture had appeared in a newspaper. Irina said, quote, a man, a painter telephoned me. I remember your face. He said it was you who took me out of the ghetto. Oh, Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) My heart. Could you imagine? I could, I can't, no. And up until, basically until unfortunately she passed away on May 12th of 2008 at the age of 98, but she did not think of herself as a hero. She claimed no credit for her action saying, quote, I could have done more. This regret will follow me to my death. Oh, honey. Such a queen. Oh, I love her so much. So I I dare say we have two Polish Glen Cocos now. Oh, for sure. Faux show. And it's crazy. Like, so I'm diving into a few things. I'm fascinated by um, the Holocaust. Yeah. Is that weird to say? It's. Oh, go ahead, Rebecca. I was going to say something that my cat distracted me. It's like, I understand what you mean. I don't think fascinated is the right word. It's it's really easy to get sucked into it and try to understand how something that terrible could happen. Yeah. Like I've read so many books, like historical fiction books, biographies. I have so much information on it, but it really, I don't know. I don't know. The only word I can think is fascinated. It's not fascinated. Enthralled. I don't know. It draws me in and I am working on a couple other stories, which unfortunately aren't quite as happy. Uh- um, <laughs> That I haven't brought myself to be able to finish later, lately because, you know, brain is broken. <laughs> Captivated. Captivated. Is that a, uh, yes. That's a good word. Yeah. Okay. So when she came across, I was like, yes, queen. Yeah. Yes. I will talk about you. That will be my very delicate entrance of, hey, here's a potential subject that could be coming up more in the future. Hey, I... I agree with you when it comes to being captivated by studying the Holocaust, because uh, I am as well. It's very depressing, but it I don't know, trying to wrap your brain around it and be like, how in the world could this have happened? Not drawing any parallels to our current state in society, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's terrifying. <clears throat> terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And, you know, I already, I did papers on it in high school and stuff so that's kind of where my 
journey started. And then I remember, actually, that's not where my journey started because I remember, I think I was in like middle school. We went to the museum in Washington, D.C. And they have like the pit of shoes. Mm. And for some reason, that was like the first tangible thing that I could really relate to numbers wise. And it's not even necessarily so much the Holocaust that everybody knows about and everybody talks about. It's all the stories like this that were going on in that same time. Yeah. Good and bad. And all the shit that people did and tried to get away with on top of everything else that was going on. I don't know. I guess it's kind of like how I'm so fascinated by serial killers. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I obviously yeah. don't condone what they do, but like... No, but your brain's a little fucked, so I get it. I'm What's just kidding. What's going on up there? It, it, my brain is beyond a little <laughs> fucked. I'm just kidding. Um, I get it. But yeah, sorry to go down the deep side of the story when we had such a happy side, if you could say happy in that situation. Uh, but yeah, that is the queen, the Polish... What did we call it? Ruth Coco? <laughs> the Polish Queen Coco. <laughs> Queen Coco. Uh, uh, she's amazing. And I love her. And yes. I'm so excited for you. Thank you for uh, covering that, my love. Absolutely. I'm glad I could do it. Rebecca. Huh. I was making sure you're still there. You're very quiet this evening. I'm being... I have a very needy cat. So I've been trying yeah. to like keep him occupied and <laughs> pay attention. And I apologize if I was quiet. He was trying to knock over my microphone. It's okay. Mine unplugged my computer and I thought we were going to have to start over from the beginning. So, you know, <laughs> cats. What can you do? Speaking of assholes. <laughs> Speaking of assholes, stay tuned for more Holocaust content. We're talking about you. Gus is not an asshole. Oh, I beg to differ. Anyway, and on, on that note. That note. <laughs> Remember, friends, everyone has something that they find odd. Let us tell you why it's not. If you have any questionable topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social medias. Links can be found on our website, theladiesestrange.com, or you can email topics to us at theladiesestrange at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show, tell your friends about us or subscribe, rate, and review. That'd be great. We'd really appreciate it. We love you. And we appreciate you loving us, unless you don't love us, in which case, you know. I'm, Why are you here? I'm glad you ha- gave us a shot, and we value your opinion. So, yeah. yeah no. If, if it's if it's not a positive one, keep it to yourself. <laughs> I think that one got away from you, Tiff. It did. I'm sorry. My whole life got away from me. Keep it strange. Oh, my God. You gay? Okay? Lovelies. No. <laughs> I need to get, uh, get off of here and go have a mental breakdown in my bed. You guys have a lovely so night. So we were talking about how like we're turning 30 and our worlds are falling apart. I just realized that when she was 30, she was uh, created the director of the care of Jew- Jewish children and we're saving like 3,000 lives. I'm going to go complain about my hips hurting and take a bubble bath. <laughs> Save. Keep it strange, lovelies. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, Jesus.